Thanks for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. For more information about Grace Hill, follow us on social media at gracehill901 or visit gracehill901.com. Hey, I want to welcome you here. My name's Jason. I'm the pastor here at Grace Hill, and it's such a privilege to have you be with us today. Uh, Today, we're starting a brand new sermon series called 936, and so if you're walking in for the first time today, and you're going, man, I don't know about these people. I don't know what's happening. I I hope I can catch up. Guess what? We're all jumping in on the same page, starting at the same spot today, And, and the reality, the reason why we're doing this series today is because of this kind of very simple reason is for every one of us here today, the generation that we were raised in, the generation that you grew up in, the generation that you were parented in is radically different than the generation that we are now currently parenting or for you grandparents here today, the generation that you are currently grandparenting in now. And I want to give you just a few, um, just to sort of set the stage and lay the foundation for why this is important. I I want to set the stage by just giving you a a few just sort of points of data, just points of of interest this morning about the generation that we are raising in our homes and grandparenting in our homes uh, uh, all in this church, okay? So there's a Generation Z. How many of you guys have heard of Generation Z? Anybody in here heard heard of Generation Z? Okay, if you have kids at home or if you have grandparents, kids under the age of really 18 to 20 years old, they fit in the category of Generation Z, okay? And there's a few distinctives about Generation Z that make them different than any other generation uh, that has ever been uh, in, in America. And the first distinction for that is this, is that the, the term they've been given is this, is that they're screenagers. They're screenagers, meaning this, they cannot remember a time before the internet, how many of you guys in the room remember a time before the internet? Show of hands, yeah, yeah. If you are under the age of 20, you really, you never grew up unless your parents just didn't have internet. You, you never grew up without internet at, at school, uh, at home, uh, now, you know, all of that type of thing. And, and so our kids that we're parenting now, they're screenagers. Here's what's interesting about that, is that teen pregnancies, And alcohol use by teenagers right now is really at an all-time low since this data has been kept. This 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 uh, the uh, teen pregnancies and alcohol use uh, in underage uh, uh, teenagers uh, is at an all-time low. What is interesting, though, is that um, suicide and depression are at an all-time high. And it is largely due to while there are so many advantages of social media and being connected, it also means that. Being uh, this sense of being alone, being left out, seeing someone else's great life while you sit at home on Saturday night by yourself becomes an ever-present reality. Uh, One researcher said that much of uh, Generation Z time that they spend can be spent in their room alone and distressed. Another marker or distinction for Generation Z is this, is that uh, they, their worldview is post-Christian. And I'm not, I don't have time to dig into exactly what post-Christian and all of that means, but if you know somebody who is under the age of 20, the people that they're friends with, the people that they go to school with, the people that they hang out with, it is a post-Christian society that Generation Z is being raised in. Meaning that more than likely their parents, the parents of these kids, were not raised in church. 
And so as a result, there is no biblical foundation for their worldview. They're no longer post-modern, they're now post-Christian. And I'll say this, I have been for the last four or five months, I've been a small group leader for our, um, our, our student high school boys on Wednesday night. I've been stepping in and being a small group leader in that environment, and I have been floored. It has been a wake-up call to what our students, our teenagers deal with on a day-in, day-out basis as they try to live out their faith in a very post-Christian world. As a matter of fact, 13 to 18-year-olds are twice as likely to now say that they're atheists. Another uh, distinguisher of Generation Z is this, is that safe spaces are normal. Now, before you kind of roll your eyes and be like, oh, safe space, you know, before you go there, let me unpack a little bit about what this means. Generation Z is the generation that doesn't want to make people feel bad. They don't want to hurt someone's opinion. They don't want to hurt someone's uh, 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 perception or perspective. They do not want to offend anybody. And this is a, a natural, just a natural overflow of this pluralistic culture, this pluralistic inclusive culture that we find ourselves in. And, and this culture, it frowns on judgment. But the problem with this, while there are some good things, obviously, about I wish a few more people that I knew didn't like to offend people. That would make my job a lot easier sometimes. But, but uh, uh, while, while that, there are some good things about that, Listen to what Gabe Lyons and Dave Kinnaman, some incredible researchers who wrote a book a couple of years ago called Good Faith. They had this to say about this particular thing. Protecting people from ideas they'd rather not hear is not only laughable, but it is also ultimately harmful to society. Religious liberty and freedom of speech are rights that can only be put to the test at the distressing intersection of differing ideas. If we run, run away from that crossroads, these freedoms are simply hypothetical. And so there is real danger. There is real danger with having this uh, be a, prevaling, a, a prevalent ideal, an idea that Generation Z holds on to. Here's another distinguisher is this, is that real safety is a myth. Everyone who, grew, who is uh, in Generation Z has grown up in a post 9-11 culture. And so real safety is, is, a, is a myth. They've never lived in a country that was at peace. Imagine that for just a second. They have never lived in a country that was at peace before. And so real safety is a myth. Another distinguishing factor is this, is that they are very diverse. Generation Z is, matter of fact, the most diverse generation that is out there. 63% are white, 17% are black, 21% Hispanic, 9% Asian, and 3% are other. And there's a complete acceptance, complete acceptance in Generation Z by and large uh, for, for this idea of this elevation of non-male, non-white leaders in our community. We see it more in Generation Z than almost in any other generation before them. And also Generation Z, they are more likely, they are the most likely generation yet to have friends of different sexual orientations and to be more accepting of friends and of relatives and of family members who have different sexual orientations. And the last one, and this one stings just a little bit, kind of landing this last one right in our lap a little bit is this one, is their parents are double-minded. Now, now this is not factual, this is perception. 
that a lot of Generation Z feels like their parents are double-minded. And I, again, I can't take a deep dive into this. If you're taking notes, uh, write this, these two names down, James Emery White and, and Hannah Rosin. Uh, they have done extensive research on this, written entire books on this one particular subject. And their conclusion is basically this. In Generation Z, parents are too over-involved in some areas of their child's life that don't ultimately matter. And parents are too under-involved or too detached in areas that do. Here's an alarming statistic that I found this week as I was kind of digging into this and really trying to hone in on where this talk was going today, is this. Two-thirds of youth pastors, and I bet Lyndall would agree with this one, two-thirds of youth pastors say their biggest struggle is parents who don't prioritize their teen's spiritual growth. And two over-involved in areas that don't matter and too under-involved in areas that do. Here's a shocking, shocking statistic that I found is that in 2011, a study found that students with hovering or helicoptering parents were more likely to take medicine for anxiety and depression once they got to college than parents who were not. And so I, I know you've just walked in today and we sang this great song and our living hope and then I kind of come and it's like, I just kind of popped the balloon, you know, right here for us. And all of you parents and grandparents who care deeply about your children and care deeply about your grandparents, your, your grandkids, you're here today and you're going, man, what, what, what do we do? Well, here's what I want to say to you. We have 936 weeks to make a lasting impact on a child. 936 weeks from the time they're born to the time they graduate to make a lasting impact, to leave a lasting impact on a child. And what I wanna tell you today is this, is there is hope. God in his infinite wisdom laid out a strategic plan for all generations. This is not a single generation plan. This is not something that once we move into generation, you know, I don't know what, what comes after generation Z? You know, I don't know, like, where do we go from there? Maybe we just start all over again. We go back to generation A, I don't know. But, but this is not a plan that, that has an expiration date. This is a plan that God put in place for all generations. And if you're a parent or a grandparent here today, I, I really want you to hold on, latch on, and pay attention to what we're gonna be talking about the next several weeks because we may not be able to reverse every negative trend that's in the world. But what I do believe is this, if that if we will embrace 936 weeks to make a lasting impact, if we will embrace that, we can, we can curb some of these trends. We can be faithful to the children and to the grandchildren that God has put into our care. And we can see real lasting change because, because, that can come because of the influence that we steward where we are right now. So here's the last thing I wanna say before we jump into the scripture today is this, is that many, uh, many of you are here today and you are parents without the title. Maybe you're grandparents, maybe you're an, an aunt, maybe you're an uncle, maybe you're a cousin, maybe you're a friend, maybe you're a next door neighbor. Maybe even for some of you here today, you're a small group leader that serves in kids ministry or in student ministry and you're the only form of Jesus, the only expression of Jesus that that child or that student ever gets to experience because they don't get to experience it at home. You may be a step-in parent for a parent who is either unable or unwilling. And I want to say to you today, one, bravo. Bravo 
to you. And the next thing I want to say is that everything we're going to talk about will apply to you as well. And everything, if you're here today and you're not uh, a parent yet, and you find yourself in that dangerous trap of when you're at Costco and you're, you know, cruising through and you're going to grab your one gallon of milk instead of the 14 that us have to grab with big families and you go through it in three days and you just go, how did that happen? You know, if you're that person and you see that kid and you're like, man, we are never going to parent like that. Our kids will never be like that. Just take notes. this receding hairline didn't get this way overnight, okay? I got four kids that contributed to this. So we're gonna jump right in. The good news is this, is that there's a biblical strategy for parenting. There is a biblical strategy for parenting. The bad news is it's probably not what you think. This series over the next several weeks is not gonna be a bunch of how-tos, it's not going to be some corrective action. If your kid you know, acts this way, this is how you're supposed to discipline. This, that's not where we're going. We're thinking strategy here. We're thinking big picture. What are our next steps that we take as parents, as grandparents, as step-in parents? For Generation Z, for this group of people that we have 936 weeks to make a lasting impact on. And so we're going to jump right into this passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the first point you can write down today, if you're taking notes or if you want to follow along in your Bible app, you can do that as well. You can go to the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, bottom right corner where it says more, you click on more, it'll pull up and say events, you click on events, find Grace Hill Church, all of the sermon notes, the announcements, everything will be there today. The first point, if you're taking notes that you can write down is this, is that no one has more potential to influence your child than you, the parent. No one. You have more time, you have more uh, uh, proximity to that child than anybody else. There is no coach, there is no, there is no uh, uh, teacher, there is no, no single person at church that has more access to your child than you. And so you as the parent, or if you are a grandparent and you assume that role, or if you are a step-in parent, a fill-the-gap parent, no one has more influence No one has more potential to make a lasting impact on that child than you. And that's not me making it up. That's God's word. So today in Deuteronomy 6, we're going to jump right into this. And and right here in verse 4, this is coming from Moses. And Moses says these words. He says these words, and they're so powerful. And I've, I've scrolled by them so many times. But Moses starts out with this. He says this, hear Oh, Israel. It's as if Moses is saying, hey, hello, is anybody listening? Hear, oh, Israel. And and this message that he begins here in chapter 6, verse 4, is part of the final message that Moses is giving to his people. And you've heard me say this often, is those final words that come from a, from a character in the Bible, we really need to pay attention because there's some truth and some nuggets there that we need to hold on to. And, and this part of this, this final message, even though this, this message was, was recorded thousands of years ago, it should grab our attention today. Hear, O Israel. You see, these words mean so much. They, they, we can kind of read them and just sort of gloss over them in, in our culture, but in a Jewish culture, 
In, in an Orthodox Jewish faith, this message is called the Shema. It means to hear. And this confession of, a, of, a, of an Orthodox Jew is still recited in the morning and in the evening. Matter of fact, this confession is so important that from the time a child learns how to speak, a Jewish male learns how to speak, this is one of the first things they're taught to memorize and to say, to recite over and over and over again. And I love the way that it's worded. We lose a little bit of the power but I love the way that it's worded when a Jewish person, person would say this. I'm gonna read it in, in the way that it's written in the NIV here and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it the way that if you heard a Jewish man or woman say it, this is what they would say. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And a Jewish person would, write, would recite it this way. Jehovah, our Elohim, Jehovah is one. This, this is for a Jewish person. This is, this is okay, all ears, all, all attention. I, I'm, I'm, I'm listening, and this idea of one here in the Hebrew literally means unity, but it also means numerical oneness. It's the same word that's described uh, to describe Adam and Eve in Genesis 2. It's also the, the same word that's used to describe in Exodus 26 when, when, when the description of the temple, the tabernacle, and the curtain is, is in the tabernacle. It's this idea of oneness that happens. The Lord your God, Jehovah, our Elohim, Jehovah is one. And, and, and as I read this this week, and, and I thought, man, how does this apply into our homes today? How do we take these words that were written thousands of years ago, and, and we bring this into a culture of where we are today? And, and, and this is the question that I want to ask. If every Jewish home recites Jehovah, our Elohim, Jehovah is one. It led me to begin to think this week, I wonder what gets recited in our homes. Is the confession of our homes, is the confession of our morning, is the confession of every Monday when we start a new calendar week, is the confession of our lives and our homes, Jehovah, our Elohim, Jehovah is one. Or do what we recite and what we declare something very, very different? For many, and even many times in my own home and in my own family, my thoughts and my attention, what I recite, stop doing that. How many times do I have to tell you? Dinner's on the table. No, this is what we're <laughs> All of those times. But beyond just the words, the expression of our lives, what I fear for many of us, that it is not Jehovah, our Elohim, Jehovah is one, but it is something very, very different. And Moses goes on and he, he, he says these words that again just should, should bring all of us to a place where we just say, man, are, are we really living like this? Is, it, does this really reflect our homes? He goes on and he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And I wonder how many times in our own lives do we love the Lord our God through someone else's heart, through someone else's soul, through someone else's strength. I wonder how many times we take those words and we say, well, you know, if the, if the preacher would just preach better, or man, if that podcast would just be more often, or man, if we just did a Bible study. I wonder how many times we pass the blame of loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength off to somebody else. But Moses makes it very, very clear here. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now this combination of words shows up numerous times in the Bible. Uh, Jesus said these words. We see it come a little later in the Old Testament as well, and sometimes they're grouped in, in groups of two, three, or four. It could be heart, soul, mind, strength. You see that sometimes. You see heart and soul, that combination. The phrase just simply means this, and it just implies this over and over and over again. Love the Lord with all that is within you. You see, we, we, we want to take these words and we want to say, well, with all of our heart, what does that mean for me in my heart? What does it mean for me in my soul? What does it mean for me in my mind? What does it mean with me with all my strength? And, and in the Hebrew, what this is simply implying is this. Everything that you have, love the Lord your God with it. Psalm 103, the writer in Psalm 103, he writes this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Love the Lord your God with all that is within you. So here's the thing I want to say to every parent, every grandparent, every step-in parent today is this. Parents, it starts with you. If you want a biblical strategy for parenting, the place we have to begin is this. Parents, it starts with you. Grandparents, it starts with you. Step in parents, it starts with you. And that is one responsibility that you cannot delegate away. You can delegate away a lot of responsibilities. You teachers can come alongside and partner. Coaches can come alongside and train. Uh, 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 you, you can pass off a lot of other responsibilities. But your own faith, your own walk with Jesus is a responsibility that you cannot delegate to anyone else. Parents, your relationship with Jesus, I'm gonna come down here when I say this, these steps are slippery. Parents, your relationship with Jesus is more important than your relationship with your children. Now don't email me tomorrow about that and say, well, but, well, you know, I mean, I don't know about that. Your relationship with Jesus is more important than the relationship that you have with your children. I know that's extreme, especially in the culture that we live in today where our culture wants to make our children our idols and we want our whole lives to orb around everything that our children do. 
and every wish that our child has. But I want to tell you, if you're going to take a biblical approach and a biblical model for parenting, your relationship with Jesus has to be more important than your relationship to you with your kids. Do you love the Lord with all that is within you? And this week I began to try to think, okay, how, how, how can, how, what, what kind of marker can we put out there? Because it's real easy to say that. But what kind of marker can we put out there? What, what kind of road sign, what kind of you know, uh, mile marker can we put to say, okay, how, how is this working? Are, are we on the right track here? What, what's a little checkpoint that we can say, okay, I, I feel like we're doing okay there. Or man, we got some work to do. Ask yourself this question. Outside of coming to church, are there any patterns in my life that would communicate to my children, I love Jesus more than anything else? Outside of coming to church, are there any patterns in my life that would communicate to my children that I love Jesus more than anything else? Do they ever interrupt me while I'm reading my Bible in the morning or the evenings? And by the way, y'all, I ain't getting away from that one. I'm gonna keep coming back to that one over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. You reading your Bible is simply the best way to grow closer to Jesus than any other way that is out there. That's why we have it, so that we can understand and know the heart of our Father. Do your children ever interrupt you praying? Do, do they see you and, and me, do they see us making financial decisions based on our love for Jesus? Do, do they see us making relationship decisions based on the love that we have for Jesus? Here's another one. And you may or may not want to write this down. If all that was left of your influence was your social media feed, would there be any evidence in your social media feed that you had a relationship with Jesus Christ and that he was the most important thing to you? What activities, what patterns, what habits do you have beyond going to church that communicates to your children that Jesus is the most important thing to you? The last thing I want you to write down this morning is this. As parents, it starts with you. Why? Because what's not in you may never be in them. What's not in you, meaning a relationship with Jesus Christ. What, what's not in you, meaning absolute, total devotion to Jesus Christ. What's not in you orienting your priorities and the structure of your life around the person of Jesus Christ, what is not in you may never be in them. What's not in you may never be in them. And that's why these words to me are so important. In Deuteronomy 6, we're just going to keep coming back to this passage of Scripture. We're going to jump off and we're going to look at some other places through this series. But, but this passage of Scripture is going to be our anchor text 
This, this whole chapter, Deuteronomy 6, is going to be our anchor text for this series. And that's why to me these words are so critical. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And if you know anything about the teachings of Jesus, if you know anything about Hebrew sort of folklore and, 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 and just kind of what they thought about different areas of the body, everything flowed from the heart. Jesus even spoke to that, that everything flows from the heart. And what I want to say to you is your strategy for parenting will flow from the heart. Your strategy for grandparenting, your strategy for stepping in and being a parent when there is no parent, it will flow from the heart. And if there is one challenge for every single person here today, it is this, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. And here's what I would like to say today to conclude and how we conclude today is you may be here and you may hear all this and, and yeah, I love the Lord your God with all your heart and, and, and the reality is is your heart and the heart of God has never intersected. The idea of making decisions, of prioritizing your life around the things of God is a foreign idea to you. And here's maybe the best news for every single person here today is that apart from Jesus, we can't even do this. It takes Jesus to be able to empower us. And let me say this, I have phenomenal kids, but I do not stand up here acting like I got this whole thing figured out. I mean, two of my four had total colossal meltdowns the last two nights. And it just made me think, like, should we even do a parenting strategy, a series at all? I mean, I clearly do not know what I'm doing right now. Um, and as I've got almost teenagers, I mean, it is making, my eyes are just becoming open to what is out there. So I do not stand up here and, and talk to you as, as, as many of our older, more seasoned, and more wise people in this church could. I stand up here and I talk to you today and say, man, I'm in the fight with you. I'm in the fight for the heart of my children. And what I know beyond anything else is they're watching me. My kids have darn near perfect attendance to church, in case you didn't know. And even with that, they're here about 50 to 52 hours a year. That's it. And they're watching me. And your kids and your grandkids are watching you. Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And I'll add Jesus' words in there, and your mind. And then he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. He added that one on in there as well. But we cannot do this apart from Jesus. And if you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus, man, what a great day to do that. 
What a great day to say, you know what, I'm going to embrace this. I'm going I'm to step into this because I don't want to repeat the generational sins that my parents had. And I know that I can't do it on my own. I'm seeing the evidence of that. I can't do it on my own. And so, yeah, I want to step into a relationship with Jesus. And maybe for some of you, you're you're entering into that season, maybe for you as well, where it's it's a wake-up call. Maybe this message is like jarred something loose in you, and you're like, oh, my goodness. Or maybe if you're here and you don't have kids, you're like, ah, birth control for a few more years, not stepping into this one today. What I want to invite every single person here to do is, as we sing this next song, just cornerstone, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak, made strong, and Savior's love. Just to take a minute, take a moment, take some time this morning and, and pray that this sense of commitment, God, we're, we're going to do this because our kids and our grandkids are watching us. And what kind of impact, what kind of lasting impact are we passing on and handing off to them? Parents and grandparents, it starts with you.